Well, last weekend, we launched into a new series entitled Gospel Community, in which we've been going to be taking a look at what a community that's founded on and formed by the gospel looks like. And last week, we took a look at the foundation of that community being the gospel itself. The gospel is that needle that weaves the lives, uh, the threads of our lives together in such a way that it forms the fabric called the church. This weekend, we begin to turn our attention, uh, and for the next several weekends, to certain choices that we need to make in our lives in order to experience the fullness of that community. Because it's possible to be a part of a church, it's possible to attend church, it's possible even to be a part of a life group, it's possible even to serve in various community projects that we might be engaging in to seek to serve our community. It's possible to be a part of all this activity in the church, and yet never really break through to real lasting, vibrant, life-changing types of community because we never really come to a place where we begin to feel comfortable opening up and sharing the realities of who we are, the truth about where our struggles are, the truth about what kind of sins we are fighting against. It's possible to be a part of a church and never really experience the community of the church whenever we cover and conceal and hide ourselves, the true selves, from those who are around us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Nazi Germany uh, back in the Second World War, and uh, he wrote a little book called Life Together, and in his book called Life Together, he talks about the vibrancy of the community that they experienced under persecution there in Nazi Germany as he sought to train pastors and continue to faithfully minister to the flock that God had entrusted to him. And towards the end of his little book called Life Together, um, he has a chapter called Confession and Communion. And at the beginning of that chapter, he writes these words. He says, It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner, so everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners, Bonhoeffer says. He says, listen, you can attend all the corporate worship gatherings you would like. Uh, You can pray with one another and for one another. And you can serve together in the church and outside the walls of the church. But if you never come to a place where you're able to open up about the real struggles that you have, about the real sins, about the real temptations, about actual sins that you have committed here today or yesterday or this week, not seven to ten years ago, right? If you never come to that place where you're able to open up yourself to those who are around you, he said you'll never experience the final breakthrough to real fellowship. Because in the church, oftentimes we conceal and cover because we want to put on a particular presentation of ourselves to those who are around us that we think might be a little more palatable to them. Okay? might taste a little better to them if we can project this type of an image of who we are. But you'll never break through to true, lasting, enduring, life-changing, and vibrant fellowship or community. You never really feel like you belong to the church unless you come to a place where in the life of the church you can be true, you can be real, you can be honest, you can be open about what struggles there are, about what sins and temptations you're wrestling with. 
And so this morning, we want to look at a choice that each of us has to make if we're really going to experience the fullness of this gospel community that God is weaving together in the life of the church. And it's the choice is choosing authenticity over hypocrisy in our lives. It's the choice of choosing authenticity over hypocrisy. And the text that we're going to dig into briefly this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. It's one verse, but that verse is full full of content that we need to unpack together. In Ephesians 4.25, this Ephesians uh, chapter 4, it's, it's this verse 25 set in the context of a larger unit where the Apostle Paul comes out of the early portion of the book of Ephesians and he's writing about all that God has done in Christ to deliver and to save and redeem and to set free. And then he transitions toward the middle of the book of Ephesians and he begins to talk about what now a redeemed life looks like as you live that out in the context of relational community with one another in the church. And so Ephesians 4.25 is one of those verses where Paul begins to drive at what what redeemed people look like in relationship to one another. And listen to what he says in Ephesians 4.25. He says, therefore, on the basis of all that God has done of you passing from the old life to this new way of living, he says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The Apostle Paul says, if you want to move from just attending church to really being woven into gospel community, you've got to move from choosing hypocrisy over authenticity and begin to choose authenticity over hypocrisy. Now, what do we mean by that? What is hypocrisy? Essentially, hypocrisy is this. Hypocrisy is the projection of a false self to those who are around you. Hypocrisy is a projection of a false self to those that you're in, in, in community with. If you look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, Therefore, on the basis of the finished work of Christ, and that God has, you've been transitioned out of this old way of living into this new way of living, he says, Therefore, put off or put away all falsehood. Now, when you see that word falsehood, typically there we think of lies and deception. And you can lie in one particular way, shape, or form where you outright deceive someone with an, a bold faced lie, but you can also deceive other people. You can also engage in falsehood by withholding from them the truth. Okay, so you can deceive with an out, a bold-faced lie, or you can also deceive by withholding from them the truth. And so when Paul says, put away falsehood, having put away falsehood, having put away deception, having put away these lies that we've been projecting about ourselves, putting away this hypocrisy, right? Because we might think of, well, I, I'm not telling lies to people. I'm just not really sharing with them who I am. But when you don't share with them who you really are, where you've come from, what you're struggling with, the real sins and the real temptations that you're facing in life, you're withholding from them the truth. You're withholding from them the truth about where you are and who you are, pretending to be someone that you're not and projecting a false self to all those who are around you. Now, the term hypocrisy is actually used in the Bible in places like 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter calls Christians to put away hypocrisy in particular in their lives on the basis of what Christ has done. And that word hypocrisy actually comes from the Greek theater in the ancient world. Because in the Greek theater, they didn't have all these 
paid actors that they could go and call upon to play different roles and different parts in the theater productions that they put on. And so what they would do is they would have certain actors, key actors and actresses who would play multiple parts and multiple roles in the same production. And so in between scenes, they would go backstage and they would put on a different mask and they would come out onto the stage and then they would project that character to the audience. And then between scenes, they would go backstage, put on a separate mask and they would come out and they were called hypocrites, one who played many roles or had many characters in the life of the theater. And so in, in the Bible, a hypocrite is someone who projects a false self, someone who pretends to be someone that they're not. They're like an actor who's playing a part, playing a role, but you don't really know who that person really is. Right, if you think about your favorite actor or actress in whatever movie they've played in, Okay, one of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington. I think he plays so many great roles across so many different types of movies. And if you think about Denzel Washington, if you look at the roles that he plays in the context of a, a, a movie, that's not who he is. Whenever you sit, if you were to sit down with him in real life, there's a real person behind that role that he's playing. And the same is true about you and I. Same is true about you and I. Paul says, listen, if you want to move into rich community and vibrant community and life-changing community, you've got to allow people to know you for who you are and not be projecting a false image or a false self about who you are. You've got to put off falsehood. You've got to stop acting like everything is okay. You've got to stop pretending like you're someone that you are not in order to be accepted, in order to be received. Paul says, having put away all falsehood. And then look what he says next in Ephesians 4.25. He says, speak the truth. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So you put away hypocrisy, right? You put away this, this false, this hypocrisy, or this false projection of yourself. And he says, rather than falsely projecting an image of who you are, authenticity in contrast to hypocrisy is not the projection of a false self, but authenticity is the sharing of our true selves. It's the sharing of our true selves. So when Paul says, speak the truth with one another, he's saying, let people in. Let people know who you really are. Let people know what you really struggle with, the sins and failures that really exist in your life. You know, if you look further back up in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, the apostle Paul says there, speak the truth in love. And in that particular context, he's driving more at the issue of accountability but here, I think he's driving more at the issue of transparency. There's got to be a level of transparency in your life to have this kind of authenticity where you let people see through. You take off the mask and you speak truthfully about who you are. In fact, one of the ways the Bible uses the word truth across the pages of Scripture is this, that it, truth is that which corresponds to reality. It's that which corresponds to reality. Okay? And so when you talk about truth and letting people see the true self, you're letting them see that which corresponds to reality in your life, who you really are. Paul says, put away falsehood and speak the truth with one another. Share with one another your sins and struggles. Share with one another your griefs and pain. Share with one another the things that are derailing you, the things that are causing your life to spiral out of control at times. Share with one another the greed that exists in your heart at times. Share with one another the lust that exists in your minds at times. Share with one another the anger that rises, the unrighteous anger that rises up in your heart on occasions. Share with one another those things which correspond to reality. 
See, when you think about choosing authenticity over hypocrisy, a part of it is the choice of fact over fiction or reality over fantasy. I think about a couple of a way to illustrate. Thought about a way to illustrate this this week. In 1982, Wes Craven directed a movie that was based off of a comic book called Swamp Thing. Some of you might be might remember this. Okay, might remember Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing was essentially before he became Swamp Thing, he was a research scientist. Okay, who conducted experiments in the laboratory, and he was exposed to certain chemicals that caused him to become basically this mass of this bio humanoid biomass. Okay, there's a, a photo up here on the screen of Swamp Thing. Okay, this was Swamp Thing in the 1980 or one of the television spinoffs from that movie that was released. And so the guy who plays Swamp Thing every day when he showed up to the set, he would have to undergo hours of costuming and makeup in order to put on this false self that this character that he was going to be portraying or acting like. And so this is not the real man behind the mask. This is a, this is a costume that he wore to play a, a role in a movie or a television series. Swamp Thing is not reality. Swamp Thing is fantasy. It's not fact, but rather it is fiction. And yet I think of another television show that was launched a couple of years ago on the History Channel called Swamp People. Right, now, these are some of my folks down there in South Louisiana, okay? And Swamp People, um, is, there's no costuming involved in Swamp People. All right, what, it, what Swamp People is, is basically kind of a reality television series that follows around uh, these, these alligator hunters in South Louisiana, and it chronicles their daily lives, and it shows their joys, and it shows their frustrations, and it shows their flaws, and it shows their failures. There's no costuming involved here. But there's real life. There's no fantasy in this. It's more reality. And see, for you and I in the church, if we're ever going to break through to this true community, this gospel community that's founded on and formed by the gospel, you and I are going to have to move and transition from being swamp thing kind of Christians who costume ourselves up at every occasion that we go out and engage and put on a, public, a face for public consumption with other people. And we're going to have to move from being swamp thing kind of Christians to swamp people kind of Christians where people see our joys and they see our failures. They see our flaws. They see our frustrations. They see what we're celebrating and they see what we're grieving. They see where God is giving growth and they see where we're still struggling and wrestling with sin. How do you, how do you know if you're still living, choosing hypocrisy? How do you know if you're still living as a swamp thing? Several indicators that will help us One of the indicators is this, is that no one in your life knows a single real struggle that you have, a single real sin that you've committed, a single real temptation that you're facing. You engage in conversation, you might talk about very broad generalities, but there's nobody in your life that you're sharing the real sins, the real struggles, and the real temptations with. You might even be be spending conscious effort and mental power devising ways to conceal who you are and what you've done. So you're thinking about how can I keep people from finding out about this? Because if they found out about this, man, I, I would be done for. And you might be withdrawing from relationships every time somebody gets too close. You ever found yourself doing that before? You kind of take a few steps when somebody gets too close to the truth of where your sins are, where your struggles are, what you're tempted by. 
No one knows a single real struggle. And you're devising um, schemes and plots of ways to conceal that. And every time somebody gets too close to it, you withdraw from that relationship. And when we live this way, listen, it does great damage. There's a couple of consequences of living, choosing hypocrisy over authenticity. I want to give them to you this morning. The first one is this. is that it will under, always, always undercut the gospel. It will always undercut the gospel in your life. In my life, whenever I choose hypocrisy over authenticity, when I choose to be an actor and project a false image for the sake of pride, here's what it does. It basically neuters the gospel in my life. If you go back into Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives us a nutshell of the gospel in Ephesians 2, 1 to 9. And he says several things in there. He says that we were dead, that we were disobedient, and that we were destined for destruction. But God, rich in his mercy and on account of his love, he made us alive with Christ. And God has done this by his grace and through faith and in Jesus. And it's not your doing. We're all members of one another. We're all vitally connected to each other in the church. And so he says in the same way that if your eye saw a water moccasin slithering across the path in front of you, your eye wouldn't say to your foot, there's a stick, step on it. If you do, it would cause great harm, right? And a hospital visit and somebody trying to suck poison out of your body. Or if the, mouth, if the nose smells, he says, if the nose smells a deadly drug, and so if you put a glass of water up to your mouth and you, it smells like metal, heavy metal, your nose doesn't go, oh, that's no big deal. Just go ahead and drink that anyway. Right? Your nose goes, no, there's pause. it gives you pause and a reason for concern. Or if you pour a glass of milk that's been sitting out on the counter for too long and you go to drink it and you taste foul in your mouth, your, mouth, your, your tongue doesn't say to your stomach, oh, it'll be all right. right. If it does, if it lies, if the, if the eyes lie to the foot or if the, the nose lies to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the stomach or the tongue lies to the stomach, what happens is great pain and it inflicts harm and damage to your body. And when you and I live in hypocrisy and choose hypocrisy over authenticity does great damage both to you and your soul and the souls of those who are connected to you it does damage to your soul and here's why here's why because you can be in a room filled with people with a costume on and still feel utterly alone because no one knows no one knows the real you in fact, Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, goes on to say it this way. He says, he who is alone and with his sin is utterly alone. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply involved he becomes in it, the more, destructive, the more disastrous is his isolation. Bonhoeffer says, there is this endless cycle that sin creates in our lives, that hypocrisy creates in our lives. That living with a costume on creates in our lives, right? We engage in sin, then we conceal it from other people, and so we withdraw in isolation. But the further we withdraw in isolation, the more entrenched and engrossed we become in that sin. And so there's this endless cycle of sin and isolation, and sin and conceal and isolate, and conceal and isolate, and conceal and isolate until we find ourselves utterly alone, cut off from everyone around us. does great damage to your soul because you could be in a room full of people, even people who profess to love you and still feel isolated and alone. And it does great damage to the souls of those who are connected to you and those who are closest to you. And here's why. Because it's going to set them up for disillusionment and disappointment. 
And here's how. Because when you and I live as if we have no struggles, there are no temptations in our lives, there are no sins that we are wrestling with, and the people around us who are looking at us go, man, they are on some other kind of spiritual plane that I could never attain. I can never, make, I can never climb that high or run that fast or go that far. Until one day, the things that you've concealed and covered, the things that I've concealed and covered, all of a sudden come to light. And they go, well, if, if, that, if that guy, if that gal couldn't do it, I can't either. See, it begins to undercut the gospel and it inflicts harm to your soul because it isolates you from others and it inflicts harm to their souls because it causes disillusionment and disappointment for them. When we choose hypocrisy over authenticity, there is... There is shrapnel, and there are consequences. So how is it that we move toward choosing authenticity over hypocrisy then? So that we can have this kind of rich community, this vibrant community that's formed by and founded on the gospel in our lives. I want to give you two practices this morning and then two prerequisites. Okay, Two practices and two prerequisites. The two practices are these. First of all, you've got to boast. You've got to boast. You've got to confess. You've got to boast and confess. Here are the two practices. I want you to consider, um, first of all, boasting. What do we boast in? We've got to boast in Jesus' righteousness and not our own. We've got to boast in how good Jesus is and not how good we are. We've got to boast in what Jesus has done and not what we have done. If you have any hope of moving from hypocrisy toward authenticity, you've got to learn to boast in him and not in yourself. I want you to consider what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. He writes to the church at Galatia, and the church at Galatia had been infiltrated essentially by individuals who were trying to undermine the gospel in their midst, and they were trying to, you had these Jews there in Galatia who were saying to the Gentile converts, listen, you guys need to get circumcised if you really want to be Christians. And Paul says, no, he keeps fighting against that. No, no, no. And he comes down in Galatians 6 toward the end of his letter, and he says this in verse 13 and 14. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He says, they're not keeping the law. They're not running on all, firing on all cylinders, but they want to have you circumcised so they can boast in something that you've done and something that they've done. Listen to what Paul says in verse 14. He says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Paul says, I'm not going to boast in your conversion. I'm not even going to boast in the fact that I've persuaded you not to be circumcised. I'm not going to boast in anything other than who Jesus is and what he's done. Paul says, that is going to be the object of my boasting. I'm going to continue to boast about that and boast about that and boast about that. Not about what I've done, but about what Jesus has done. And if you and I are going to have the, 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 uh, the, the ability, if we're going to move from hypocrisy toward authenticity, we've got to learn to stop boasting in how good we are and all the good things that we've done. That's where we tend to boast, isn't it? We've got to start learning to boast in Jesus. And as we begin to boast in Jesus, then we can begin to move out towards others in confession. Because no longer, it doesn't any longer become about who I am and what I'm doing and what I've done and how good I look and what kind of image I can project to those who are around me. But it becomes about who, how good Jesus is and what he's done. So that gives me 
the ability to move out toward others in confession. In James chapter 5, James tells us, he says, confess your sins one to the other. We don't practice that very well in the life of the church, particularly the evangelical church today. We don't practice confession toward one another very well. We might be confessing our sins vertically, but we don't practice very well confessing our sins horizontally toward our brothers and sisters, toward those who are part of this gospel community with us. See, what James says is this. He says, there's got to be certain people in your life who have a backstage pass. They have all access to what's going on in here and what's going on in here in your head and in your heart. They need a backstage pass to know where you're struggling, to know how, where you've sinned, to know where you're tempted. So you've got to boast and you've got to confess. Now, does that mean you go around and show up on Sunday morning and we just kind of parade people across the stage sharing all their deepest and darkest secrets? No. But it means in the context of a small group, in the context of people that love and care for you, in the context of folks who are committed to you, in the context of folks who are building their lives on the same foundation of the gospel, that you move out toward confession. And they should be able to receive that because they're not boasting in who they are or what they've done or how good they've been, but they are boasting in who Jesus is and what he's done and how good he's been to them. So they're able to help point you there. But if we're going to boast and confess, there's, gotta, there's a couple of prerequisites that have to exist in our lives. And I'll close with this. The two prerequisites that have to exist in our lives, if we're going to take off the costume, if we're going to take off the mask and move from being swamp thing kind of Christians to swamp people kind of Christians, from fantasy to reality through boasting and confessing, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to have. you got to have security and you've got to have liberty. If you don't have these two things, you will never learn to boast in Christ and you will never move out toward confession with one another. You've got to have security and liberty. You've got to have security in the sense that you know that you are loved and accepted, not on the basis of what you've done and how good you've been. If you're going to boast in Jesus and how good he is and what he's done, then you've got to know that you're loved and accepted by him, not on the basis of what you've done or how good you've been got to have a certain security that you're loved and accepted in him loved and accepted in him and then that's got to give you the certain liberty and the freedom to sit across the table from someone at starbucks or on someone's couch in their living room and be able to say here's an all-access pass all a backstage pass i'm but here's why i have that freedom because i can sit across from you and not build my life upon what you think about me whenever I confess this to you. Because I know what God thinks about me in Christ. I'm secure in who I am in Jesus. And so I can tell you, regardless of how you respond, I can share, I can confess with you regardless of how you respond. Now, where do you get that security, that kind of security and that kind of liberty? The only place you get it is from the gospel. It's the only place. If you go back in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, in verses 3 to 6, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love... 
He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I want you to notice the image that the Apostle Paul draws on as he talks about our salvation, particularly in verses 5 and 6, where he says, In love he predestined us to, uh, for adoption. For adoption. For adoption. That if you are in Christ, that if you are in Christ, God set his affection upon you and he chose to adopt you as his son and daughter. Now, we, we wrestle with all the mechanisms of how all that takes place and who has the ultimate say and responsibility and all that. Now, listen, to, this morning's not the time for us to dig into that. There will be a time for us to dig into that. Today is not that day, and I hope to return to that one day and us wrestle with that together as a congregation and as a church. But this morning, what I want you to see is this, is that when God set his affection upon you and adopted you as his son or daughter, that in and of itself provides you the security and the liberty that you need to boast and who Jesus is and what he's done and to confess with one another to take off the mask and move toward authenticity. I was talking with Keith the other day about their adoption process as they prepared to bring Roby home from, um, from Africa. And I remember him telling me the story about how uh, the challenges that they faced and the difficulties that they endured and how in the process, when, they, you, know, when you apply, how um, you, you, you apply through an adoption agency and they, uh, you know, they begin to search through their case files and they begin to send, when you get approved, they begin to send you case files. And the, 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 the families that receive those case files, they have the right of refusal. They can say, no, we're not going to adopt this child. No, we're not going to adopt that child. No, we're not going to adopt that child. No, we're not going to adopt that child. Until they get a case file where they say, yes, we will adopt this child. And when they adopt that child, they bring it into their home and they bring it into their family. You know, when I, I remember not long after I got here, they boarded a plane and flew to Africa in order to embrace Robel and welcome him into their family. They didn't say, hey, Roby, you're over there. We're going we're gonna to ship you a life raft, okay? And we're, we're going to set you out on the ocean. And if you can make it over here, we'll be happy to have you as a part of our family. Right? No, they went to him and embraced him and engaged him and picked him up and brought him home and gave him a family. Gave him a family. They adopted him and brought him in so that he has all the rights and privileges legally of any other natural-born children because they loved him. And if you are in Christ this morning, here's what you need to know about your adoption is that whenever your case file passed across God's, in, through God's mailbox, he didn't say, no, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that, not that one. That if you are in Christ this morning, regardless of how all those mechanisms work, if you are in Christ this morning, God said, that one. And in Christ, he embraced you and he loves you. And if you will feel the weight of his love on your heart and know how deeply he loves you and a great cost to himself, he has loved you. You can sit across from somebody who doesn't care, not care what they think about you because you know what he thinks about you. Because you're so secure in the fact that he has claimed you as his son, as his daughter. And it gives you a freedom 
to look towards the heavens and boast in who Jesus is and what he's done and to move out toward your brother and sister in confession, no longer concealing, but choosing authenticity over hypocrisy. I don't want you to feel isolated. I don't want you to feel alone. I don't want you to feel abandoned. I don't want you to feel like this is a place. I don't want anyone who walks through those doors to feel like this is the place they have to spend hours putting on a costume and in makeup chairs before they come in every Sunday morning. I want people to be able to walk in those doors and say, this is family. I can be me. I can be real. I can put away falsehood. I can speak the truth with one another with my brothers and sisters because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done. If we fail to do that, if we fail to do that, we may have a lot of activity going on and people doing all kinds of things together, but we will never break through and you will never break through to authentic gospel community. Let's pray together. Father, we come today hearts that are filled with gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done. We come today with minds that by your grace would be captivated with your great love for us. And because you have adopted us in Christ, We cannot be adopted outside of Christ, but because you have adopted us in Christ, those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus and who are in him, we are now your sons and daughters with all the rights and privileges thereof. May that, as we think about that truth, may it give us a security that we've never known before and a freedom and liberty that we've never experienced before to put away falsehood, to stop living as an actor or actress in fantasy and fiction, but begin to live in the reality of who we are because we're boasting in Jesus and not in ourselves. And we're able to confess with one another our sins and struggles. Fathers, we come to the table this morning even. Maybe we would be reminded of the great cost at which, with which you loved us that you sent your son to live in our place and to die in our place, to redeem us, to save us, so that we might be your sons and daughters. As we take of the bread and the cup this morning, maybe we be liberated from anyone else's opinion of us and only be concerned with what you think of us and what you've shown us that you think of us in the cross. And may that give us great security to boast and confess. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.